This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. And if you don't know who I am, my name is Jonah Gillespie, and I'm the children's minister here at Parkview. I'm excited to be able to share with you guys another message in our Unforgettable series. Uh, it's where we get to share with you our unforgettable verses, the, the verse that has spoke the most in our life. And if you haven't taken the time yet, I want to encourage you. Uh, there's a banner in our coffee area where you can have your picture taken in front of that banner. And take a dry erase board, write down your unforgettable verse, hashtag it, and share it on social media. And I would encourage you to, just like Tim did, share your story as to why that verse speaks to you and has spoken to you so much in your life. It's a great way to show the world how your faith is living and active and how the Bible and how verses in Scripture can give you strength in the toughest of times. Um, Like some of you all, I have a a life verse, an unforgettable verse, but like most of you, uh, there's more than one. Right? There's some that have spoke to me in different stages of my life. Ones that when I look back on, I see they have made an impact on sections and chunks of my life and of my personality. And so this morning, I want to share with you three of those verses uh, from my life that have meant a lot to me. So my dad is one of the hardest working guys that I know. And it's for a reason. He, he spent his entire childhood as this undersized guy. He spent most of his high school career under five feet tall and under 100 pounds. He was a tiny guy. So to make it in the athletic field, he had to outwork everybody to be noticed. He had a bully that would uh, tend to pick on him, and so he had to, on more than one occasion, stand up for himself in those situations. Uh, My dad was enrolled in kindergarten as a four-year-old, barely four-year-old, and he had to learn to adapt quickly to be able to succeed in school and being a year younger than everybody else on top of that. But he's always, always worked hard. Uh, one of my favorite moments growing up is uh, me and my brother Jason were close enough in age that every other year we'd be playing on the same baseball team. And typically when that happened, my dad would take the time to be our coach uh, for that season. And it was always a lot of fun to have our dad as our coach and to work together. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, Once we got old enough, all three of us, me and my two younger brothers, were all on the same baseball team for one season, and it was great. And our dad took the time to be our coach, and that was a lot of fun. But one of the most memorable moments for us uh, is when we were all in high school, and we were all old enough to play on the church softball team with our dad. And so all four of us got to play together, and it was a lot of fun. Now, to help prepare for the season, our church would have, like, practices and scrimmages um, against itself, And so my dad would be in the outfield, you know, shagging fly balls and doing all that, and we'd be watching him dive and roll and slide for anything hit his way. And I remember watching the guys in their 20s and 30s looking at my dad going, what are you doing out there? Why are you running around like that and diving for everything? And he goes, you practice like you play. And we did what we always did in that situation. We followed the example of my dad. So there's four Gillespie men in the outfield, rolling, diving, sliding for everything, hitting nearest in the outfield while everybody else is watching it. us like, what's wrong with you? Uh, Another thing my dad would do on the softball field, and it it was a little game that he would play. And we all knew what he was up to. He would hit the ball to right field just, just past the second baseman enough just to see how the outfielder would come and get that ball. And if he decided to take his time, my dad was going for second every time. 
and he would catch them off guard every time. He ran the bases like his hair was on fire, and you can imagine what his three sons were doing on the base paths during the softball season. We were all running around like our hair was on fire, just doing everything we could to follow his example and his lead. Even now, as he's re nearing retirement, he likes to work and keep his schedule busy. His job requires him to get up at 3.30 in the morning, drive 45 minutes to work, work until the early afternoon, and then go home. But my dad decided, you know, I kind of like to have something to fill out the rest of my day, you know, because he likes to keep himself busy. So he decided he's going to usher for IU football and basketball games. So during football and basketball season, he's at the Indiana University ushering and doing whatever he wants. And sometimes that means he doesn't get home until 11.30 at night just so he can get to bed and get up at 3.30 and repeat it all over again. And to him, this is great. This is what brings him fulfillment. And sometimes I try to keep that same crazy schedule. I don't know how he does it, right? But even in his busy schedule, he always took time to be at our sporting events and to be there for the things that we were doing. And my dad's hard work rarely went unnoticed by his employers. Uh, I remember when uh, I was in middle school and my dad took a job as a part-time janitor at a Hooks drugstore. Okay, Hooks was bought by Revco and then bought by CVS. So it was like in a, in a chain of like two-year span, they, they went from like three different drugstores while my dad worked there. But he worked as a part-time janitor just so he could get the benefits, the insurance for the family. That's all he was working the job for. He didn't really, we had our own business and we were making plenty of money through that. And so he just said, I just need to do something to get insurance to help provide for the family. And within a month, they asked him to be the store manager at this drugstore. And so he accepted the position, and within a year, they had gone from the worst-run store in their area to the best. And so they decided, well, let's move him to the new worst location. And within a year, he had turned that one around. And again, they moved him to another store, and he had turned that one around. He worked hard, and I got to watch him do that. And there was a lesson in that that I didn't understand at the time, but whenever he was playing, you played hard, right? You played with everything you had, and when you worked, you worked hard with everything you had. Now, fast forward a few years, and apparently I didn't pick up on the lesson well enough. And I was in college, and I, uh, I kind of overbooked myself by a lot. I had taken on 20 credit hours for this semester, which was way more than I could handle. On top of that, I had a 30-hour-a-week job in retail to help just pay for college and all the things that I needed. And that was a lot of fun, but 30 hours was a lot with 20 credit hours. And on top of that, to help prepare for ministry, I was taking on an internship for 30 hours a week at a local church. And my schedule was booked pretty solid. And that wasn't enough for me. I decided, well, I'll take on another job that works from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m., two nights a week, um, just, just to keep myself busy, because, you know, that's what I do, right? And uh, one of those is that I didn't get off work until 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, and then I'd have to go be at church in the morning as the intern and try to be alive and alert and awake, right? And I was dating a young lady who was going to a different college in a different state, and whenever I had a free moment, I was traveling to three hours to go see her. And so one night I was in my dorm room, 
on Instant Messenger, I just dated myself a little bit, but on Instant Messenger, right, talking to one of my college friends, and I was complaining about life and how busy I was and how miserable I was and how schoolwork was stacked up against me just to make me miserable. And really, the only person I had to blame was, was me, right? I put myself in that position. Not anybody else. I signed up for all that stuff, but I was blaming everything else as the problem, right? And I think we've all probably been there in our life. And my friend said, well, have you read Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24? And I said, no, what does it say? And she goes, I'm not going to tell you what it says. You need to go read that. So our conversation ended. I went and found a Bible, and here's what Colossians chapter, 20, or chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It didn't take long for me to realize I was focused on me and my needs and my wants and my schedule and how busy I was. Instead of taking the moment to realize the things that I had stacked into my schedule are actually benefiting me. Those 20 credit hours, yes, it was a lot, but instead of just looking at it as busy work and just trying to do what I could just to get by, I changed my mindset and I said, no, this is to prepare me to understand the Bible more so that I can teach this to people. This is here to give me knowledge on how the church operates and how the church works and to help me be the best minister that I can be. And I believe God is calling me to do this, so why would I have such a negative attitude about it? And I had to change the way that I saw my schoolwork. That 30 hours I was spending in retail was a fun job, but I worked in Cincinnati and there was all these students from other universities working there who weren't going to Christian colleges and who weren't living a very Christ-like life. And that was a place where I got to spend 30 hours a week being an example of Jesus to those other people. I would lose that opportunity if I was just saving it all for myself. That internship, if I had kept looking at that as just a negative thing and another thing in my schedule that was bogging, bogging me down, I'd have lost the experiences and the mentorship and the experiences that helped me grow into the person and the minister that I am today. I had to change the way I looked at my life. I was living a lot for me and more worried about my life than I was looking at it as doing these things for God. Now, I'm not saying we should pack our schedules that full. Matter of fact, when I was in high school, my dad had been working those jobs at CVS and doing all that work, and it got to a point where he was working 80 to 100 hours a week. And maybe some of you have been there. I know that I've, in my years of ministry, I've heard lots of people come talk to me about their spouse or themselves working 80 to 100 hours a week. And just like them, my family was beginning to fracture because of it. It was beginning to take toll on the individuals within the family. It was beginning to take a toll on the marriage. It was beginning to take a toll on the children. And things weren't going well. And when my dad realized it, he said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I cannot continue to provide for the people that I love the most at the expense of the people that I love the most. And so he quit that job to take a job where he could only work 40 hours a week. They weren't going to be offering him a lot of overtime, and he would be stable, right? 
he would have start time, end time. There wasn't this crazy shift in his schedule. And he did that. And it meant sacrifice for us as a family and sacrifice for what we had. But he did it because it was the best thing for his family. Because that was the best way for him to honor God is to have children that would love God and to follow him and not be angry and turn against him. And so sometimes in our lives, we have to make a decision. What is it that God truly wants? Is this the best thing? Is this truly what God wants? Or do I need to make a change to honor God? And so that I can live my life more for the people in my life that need me the most. So let me ask the question. When you work, when you laugh, and when you live, who are you doing it for? And to do those things for ourselves is not necessarily a bad thing, but when the equation becomes all us and no God, that's where the problem begins for us and those around us. Growing up, I watched my parents take on a lot of hardships. It seemed like they were dealt blow after blow after blow, and they always seemed to handle it with relative ease. And I say ease because I never saw hopelessness in them. Something would come up, something big would happen, something bad would happen, and you would just see this quietness in them. You would see them come together, pray. You'd see them talk about what they needed to do, and then they'd come out with a plan, and they would steadily work that plan. They would do whatever they needed to do. They'd make whatever sacrifices they needed to make to make sure they provided for their children and gave us the best life that we could. And it wasn't always easy for them. And at the time, they were teaching me some valuable lessons that I was completely unaware of. I can only remember one time that my dad came home with gifts for us kids. It was a very, I mean, it was so rare that it only happened once. But I remember when that night he came home and he gave us a gift, and I don't remember what he gave me. But I remember him giving it to me, and I was excited, but there was sadness in his face, and I couldn't figure it out. And my mom was crying, but it wasn't tears of joy for what my dad had done. It was tears of sadness. And for the life of me as a kid, I couldn't figure out, we just got gifts from you guys. Why, why is there this kind of like sadness in the room? So a few years later, I asked my mom, what happened that night? After work that night, my dad had gone to a pawn shop and pawned their wedding bands so that he could afford to pay for bills and to give food for his children. And with what little bit he had left, he got us gifts, maybe out of guilt, maybe out of sadness, I don't know. But he did it. And as an adult, I can't imagine the difficulty in that choice that they made that morning. The sacrifices they made to provide for us. But yet they never got angry. They never quit. They never lost hope. They continued on as if everything was normal. A few years later, my sister's playing uh, softball, seven-year-old girl's softball. Um, and the normal routine was my dad would show up about halfway through her game because that's when he got off work and he'd come from work straight to the game. And uh, the routine was that mom would make dinner. We'd put some leftovers in Tupperware and we'd sit there and watch the game and wait for dad to show up. And when dad showed up, he'd you know, eat dinner while he watched the rest of the game and we would have um, a normal night. So tonight, that night was a, just any other night. You know, We expected him to show up about halfway through the game and to do his thing. But 
something odd happened. He showed up right at the beginning of the game, way earlier than we had anticipated him to be there. And this is before the time of cell phones, and so my mom was just as surprised as we were to see Dad, and they kind of whispered to each other, and then that was it. They didn't really say anything else after that, and, and we just tried to do our best to watch the rest of the game. Now, the other thing that was normal for us is whenever we sat down to watch the game, there was always a grandfather that would sit behind us. It didn't matter where we moved to, he would always just sit right behind us. And this grandpa uh, did not like the umpires, and he was not afraid to let the umpires know how much he did not appreciate their calls in a seven-year-old girl's softball game repeatedly, every single game, all right? And on this particular night, it was no different. He was letting the umpire know about how he felt, and maybe he was a little bit louder than normal. And so I remember in between innings, this umpire marches across the field, right up to the chain link fence, and he begins to yell at my dad. And he tells him to be quiet, to stop arguing, or he was going to throw him out. And maybe that grandfather was right. Maybe the umpire was blind. I'm not sure. I mean, he's calling out the wrong guy, but he was doing it, right? And so when we got home that night, we found out why dad was there early. He had been laid off of his job, and he no longer had a job. And when I think back to that moment, I think, how did he keep his cool in that moment? To be blamed for something and accused of something that he did not even do to be threatened like that, and how that wasn't just the boiling point of him just losing his mind. I know that would be a temptation and easy for any of us to do in that moment. But he was teaching me a lesson at that time that I didn't realize until much later. It's been almost 16 years um, since um, I got the news that I had cancer. And I'll, I'll never forget that morning. It was a Thursday morning, sitting in a doctor's office in Richmond, Kentucky, and the doctor had just given me the news, and he told me that the surgery was early the next morning. And he would left the room to go make the arrangements and to get everything set up. And I was in the room by myself, and I did what any good son should do in that moment. I called my mom, all right? Now, for me, I knew my mom had insight, because when I was in high school, she had had cancer, and through surgery, had it removed and made a recovery. And so I knew that if I went to her, she would understand the situation I was in. And she said some things to me that in the moment I thought was the most ridiculous thing that I had ever heard. I said, Mom, I have cancer. And she said, okay, Jonah, this is going to be the best day of your life. You're going to remember this day forever. See what I'm talking about? Like, this doesn't even make sense to me, right? She goes, you're going to look at things differently from now on. You're going to rely on God differently. You're going to appreciate everything differently from this moment forward. And at the moment, it didn't make any sense to me that she would be telling me that. But like all moms, she was right. I learned in that situation that God did care for me, that God was going to see us through that. And we've seen through that process how God cared for us, took care of us, made sure that our needs were taken care of. And I really do think that this is what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul was a religious leader, bent on ending Christianity. And the religious leaders that were around him saw the work that he was putting in and saw his future, and they said the future is bright with Paul, right? But Paul has this encounter with God, and he gives his life to Jesus, and he becomes a Christian, and now his job is to spread Christianity. 
to see it grow as far as he can make it grow. And now he's an enemy of those religious leaders he was once a part of. And because of that, they want to stop him at, by any means necessary. That means beating him until they think he's dead and leaving him there. That means he has to escape cities in the middle of the night to get away. It means they are finding ways to throw him in prison and silence him as much as they can. But through all of that, Paul never found his identity in his failures, right, or his successes. As he's launching churches as a successful ministry or missionary, and he's seeing people give their lives to Jesus, and he's launching church after church after church and meeting all these new people, Paul doesn't brag upon himself. He doesn't brag it that he's this great Christian and look at all these things that he's done. He knows that he's doing these things because he's given God his life. And when he's sitting in prison and he's been beaten, he doesn't blame God. He doesn't get angry at God. Rather, he says, God gives me the strength to endure these things. It's because of these things God's going to do incredible things. And when we think about Paul's life, he could have been the most, well, he was the most successful missionary, but if he had been able to continue to launch church after church after church after church, all of his words and all of his things would have mattered in that moment. But the moment he got put in prison and he began to write the churches and the Christians that he had made is when his words carried on forever. Here we are 2,000 years after his death, and we're still reading his words, and his words still have impact on the lives of countless people each and every day. Paul understood that even in his hardships, when he gave them to God, God could do things that he could not even imagine. And in our lives, when we give God our hardships and we allow him to work through us and through those hardships, we will be capable of doing so much more than we could ever imagine. It's only through God that we have the strength to endure and to have a lasting impact through the hardships in our life. Parenting is tricky. And I'm sure parenting me was tricky. All right? I, I was loud. I was wild. I, uh, I didn't think through what I was saying or what I was doing. I just did it. And that would lead me to getting into some trouble. All right? nothing, nothing like criminal or that got me into a lot of trouble, but stuff that got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, I, I felt like from... Um, about the time that I can remember to about 12 years old, I think I was enduring a punishment at least once a day um, because I was just getting into trouble. And instead of confessing to what I had done, I was trying to hide things for as long as I could hide them until I could hide them no more. And then the punishment was worse. So I know parenting me wasn't easy. And when Ashley and I found out that we were pregnant and we were getting ready to have a child, I knew that there was a great possibility that that child would be a lot like me. And I needed to get a head start, right? I needed to be prepared for whatever might come my way. And so I know I talked to my parents about what their success in parenting was and what they looked to do. And here's the secret that they gave me. They said, we wanted our actions to speak louder than our words. And I look back on my life and I, can, and I know that I clearly saw that time and time again. But not only did their actions speak louder than their words, but their actions and their words matched. They worked in unison with each other. And I would even throw in a third element that our actions and our words and our faith all need to match. They all need to come together so that our children see that in us. And so in talking to other adults and other parents and saying what worked and what didn't 
what should I do, what should I be looking for, reading book after book after book on parenting, there was one verse that kind of kept popping up over and over again, and I want to share that with you this morning, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and hide them on your foreheads, or bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The reason I think this passage is so important is because I think it's the blueprint that God lays out for us in parenting. I think it's so important that we need to remember that Jesus said this is the most important commandment to keep. When he's asked, what is the most important thing that I need to do? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Because if we give God our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, what do we have left? Nothing or very little, right? And if we only have just a little bit, it's going to be harder for us to get in the way of where God is leading us. But the more of us that we keep, the more in the way that we get God, get in God's way, the more capable we are of messing things up. But I also think it's the blueprint because Moses tells the people of Israel, here is how you impress your faith on your children. Talk about your faith. Talk about the things that you've had done, the things that you've experienced in your life and how God has worked through those things when you're at home with your children. Now, for some of us, home is a place that is kind of like a stop and go, right? We get there, and then we got to head out to a ball game, or we got to head out to a recital, or we got to go back to work, or whatever it is. And home, we're just there, and then we're gone. And so sometimes it's maybe a little hard for us to talk to our children about our faith and the experiences that we've had in life. But I would encourage you guys to find a way to maybe do a family game night or to have some meals together on a regular basis so you have time at home to discuss those things so your children can hear about the things that you've gone through in life and how Scripture and how God have walked you through those things and how you are better because of it. And if you are doing those things, that's great. And I would encourage you to continue them and maybe try to find ways to build upon that and do that more regularly. And the next thing that Moses tells us to do is to impress our children when we walk along the road. Now, when Moses spoke those words, the popular mode of transportation was, walking, right? But we don't walk everywhere. But we spend a lot of time in our cars, driving our kids to and from their activities, to grandmother's house, to wherever we're going, right? And in a modern context, this seems like the, a great opportunity for us to spend time talking to our kids. I can remember driving down the road one day when Bliss was really tiny, and there was a rainbow in the sky. And Ashley just took those two minutes in the car to say, hey, Bliss, do you see what that rainbow, you know what that rainbow means? It's a promise from God, right? And she begins to talk about the promise that God made to Noah in the Bible. And it's just a quick moment while we were in the car, and it was just something that maybe we would see and just pass off. But she took that time to say, God is here, and God cares, and he loves you. And being in the car is a great opportunity and a great way for us to impress our faith to our children. Moses tells us to impress our faith, to talk about our faith and how God has worked in our lives through the things that we've done and through the phases of our life 
when we lie down, when we're laying our kids down to bed, praying with them, helping them begin to be prepared for the day that's getting ready to come, to be thankful for the ways that we see or we didn't see God work in our lives. We may not be aware of how God worked in our lives, but we can still be thankful for those moments that he provided for us and cared for us and gave us safety. To ask for strength the next day that's getting ready to come. To have our kids hear us say those things. To speak blessings over their heads. It's a great way for us to pass our faith onto our children. The next thing Moses says is that when you get up, impress your faith upon your children. That time in the morning that you have to read the Bible and you're studying it and you're praying to God, don't be afraid to let your children see that. It's going to make a huge impact on them to see you working on your faith on a daily or regular basis. I would even say you could even encourage them to join you in that time of study and in prayer so that you're working together in the development of their faith. Our children need to know that our faith is real and it's authentic. That our faith, our actions, and our words are all lining up. They need to hear about the experiences that we've had and how God has been there through those times. So that when they face those times, right, because when we begin to tell them about the things that we've seen and the things that we've had to go through and the things that we've had to do, we don't always want to share those things with them because they're not always fun. But we share them because we know someday they will have to feel and go through those very same things. And we want to prepare them for those things as much as we can. And if God was the source of strength in our life in that moment, if, that, if a passage of Scripture helped us get through those moments, then we should share those things with them. Just like we follow the lead of our dad on the softball field, or how I follow the lead of my dad in, in my work ethic, our kids will follow our lead in our faith. And it's up to us to make sure that we're leading well. So this morning, what, when you work, when you play, who are you working and playing for? And does that honor God? In hard times, where do you find your strength and identity? And does that honor God? How can you work to improving the way that you share your faith with your family and your friends and the people around you that need to hear the message of Jesus? So this morning, if there's a decision you need to make, if you need to give, if you need to turn away from yourself and give your life to Jesus, I ask that you make that decision this morning. Or if you need prayer, please come forward as we sing.